Hey guys, today on What Goes On Around Here with me, your resident renta-yenta Lisa Stanley, uh, we're going to dive into good and evil with Dateline's Josh Mankiewicz. Hey guys, welcome to What Goes On Around Here. I am so excited about our guest today. Truth be told, I've had a mad crush on this guy for years. His name is Josh Mankiewicz, and he's been with Dateline on NBC somewhere close to 25 years, if not longer. Hi, Josh. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to What Goes On Around Here. Wow, okay. Uh, I've already let uh, everyone in on my mad crush about you. So I gather the whole world knows now. (laughs) Yeah, well, they've known for a long time. Uh, I don't know how often you're in town, so how often you listen to my morning show with Gary Bryan on K-Earth, but we talk about you quite a lot. I've I've heard. (laughs) I've heard. It's true. What can I say? I'm in love with your brain. You have the most spectacular brain and nothing against your gorgeous, beautiful wife. But, you know, what can I say? I I understand. All right. Look, I don't know how many people know about other than what you really do on Dateline, which is phenomenal, how you put these stories together, these conflicts with resolution. It's just amazing how you guys get these stories and how you do these stories. But I don't think people know that you come from Hollywood royalty. Your grandfather wrote Citizen Kane. Your dad was the press secretary for Robert F. Kennedy. What a legacy, and what was that like growing up? Well, you know, my dad really, uh, my dad grew up in Hollywood. Uh, my grandfather was a screenwriter and wrote uh, wrote Citizen Kane, and uh, I think did one of the versions of The Wizard of Oz. And his brother, uh, Joe Mankiewicz, was a, a writer and director in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. Uh, Cleopatra, All About Eve, um, uh, Letter to Three Wives. Barefoot Contessa. Did you know your grandfather? Was he I still know, around? I didn't know my grandfather. I knew I knew he, I um, I knew Joe Mankiewicz, his ah, brother, who okay. was who was somewhat younger. My grandfather uh, was a uh, clearly a brilliant guy and a funny guy and also a tortured guy. He he drank himself to death when he was about fifty six. Um, uh, he was a. It's funny. I mean, he had a lot of success in Hollywood, and he saw himself as a big sellout. He'd been uh, he'd been a playwright in New York, and he'd been drama critic for the New York Times. And I think he, on some level, regretted coming to Hollywood and uh, and and. So he, and he figured that money. was selling out coming to Hollywood. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that I, I, I'd like to grab him and shake him and tell him that you know writing Citizen Kane is not selling out. But uh, <laughs> but, but <laughs> he huge. he did not. I, I guess he didn't see it that way. Um, you know, my my dad. Uh, the, the, there's sort of a straight line from this because my grandfather growing up, uh, uh, when my dad was growing up, my grandfather never talked about the movie business or Hollywood as like a, a serious place for serious people to work. Then and how so, did your father decide to do it? But he didn't. My dad, my dad went into, my dad went to, was a journalist and went to law school and then went into politics. And my dad never, never worked in Hollywood never. except for a very brief period of time when he was, uh, when he was an attorney and represented some people. Because it's so weird when you think of Robert F. Kennedy, right away I go to Hollywood, I go to celebrity. You no, know? no, 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 that's politics. And that's part of the, you know, my dad went into public service and worked for Senator Kennedy and worked in the Peace Corps, ran national public radio. So it's not terribly surprising 
that my brother and I sort ben, of end, your ended brother up, Ben Mankiewicz, who's now the host of Turner Classic Movies. Yes, the best job on television <laughs> next uh, to yours. No, no, excuse no, no, me. He's, he's, uh, <laughs> no, if you if you enjoy watching movies and talking about them, then you'll probably like. Is that your job. mother still with us? Yep, she's still around. She must be beyond proud of her she's, boys. She's very proud of us. Or yes. Is it just you two? Just the two of us. Yes. And uh, does she live here in Los Angeles? She does live here in Los Angeles, yes. She didn't, but we she moved out here a, a, a couple of years ago. That's fantastic. Wow. So you didn't get to meet Grandpa, but you no. heard all about it, and Dad, he shared all his stuff with you. He did, and my, you know, my dad sort of you know, blazed this career for himself in politics and public service, which nobody in our family had ever done before. And then my brother and I both sort of ended up in journalism, I think more as a result of that. Huh. All right. Speaking of journalism, you've been with Dateline for how long? For over 25 years, yes? Since uh, 95, so that's what, 23 plus, yeah. God, can you imagine doing these st- these horrific stories most of the time? They're pretty darn horrific, right? Uh, you know, since uh, 2006, 2007, we've been pretty much all crime. So do you think that the O.J. Simpson case was the turning point for Dateline? Um, I know that when I got to Dateline, we were all, it was in the middle of the OJ trial, and we were on three nights a week at that point, and we were sort of covering it serially through the week. And I know that the audience definitely responded to that. But but you know, I joined in 1995, and we didn't begin all true crime for another ten years. What was Dateline prior to that? It was like um, just news stories. Yeah, it was like 60 minutes. I mean, it was four unrelated stories in an hour. You know, I can't imagine Dateline any other way yeah, no. other than a two-hour crime or a one-hour crime. Well, that's how strongly we've sort of built the brand over the last, uh, you know, twelve years. I mean, uh, that's right, and nobody even remembers the old Dateline with Jane Pauley and Stone Phillips and. Oh my and, God! I don't remember know, until you just said it. Right, and you know, originally Brian Ross and Deborah Roberts, and uh, and it. Uh, uh, and a lot of other people have come and gone from Dateline over the years. And we were, at one time, we did, you know, eight to 12-minute stories, which were not about crime. They are about all kinds of different things. And that was that was fun to do, too. Uh, and but when, this is so much more rewarding, isn't it? When crime came along, I originally didn't want to do the crime hours. Why? And then, because I just thought... Too I, I, depressing? Yeah, I just didn't see them as being as vital to the audience and to people's lives as they clearly ended up being. I was very much I wrong you, about that. I love you, but you were wrong. <laughs> no, no, I was completely wrong about that. And then I did one in uh, in Reno, which was the first one I did. And uh, What was that one about? That was the murder of, uh, of a young woman named Brianna Dennison, who was uh, yanked out of her living room in the middle of the night because she had not locked the door and she'd fallen asleep on the couch. And a guy took her away and probably killed her by accident while he was assaulting her and then dumped her body and there was a brief period of time which nobody knew where she was and they were looking for her and so we went to reno and talked about the case and and eventually it was solved when we first did it i think it wasn't solved uh which has been one of the problems for us which I, i would love to be able to do cold cases but the audience and by audience i mean you yeah <laughs> uh, uh, you don't like cold cases you don't like it when i say at the end so who killed mary well we don't know police need your help good night 
No, no but you, you know want what? you right. want Bill. We was, want a conflict and a resolution. You want Bill was convicted. He got yes. life. Stay tuned for your late local news. Yes, that's exactly yeah. what we want. However, if we did have a cold case that was solved pretty quickly after. Then I would be okay with that. Stories, uh, cases that are solved, we can do. Cases that are not solved are very hard to do because the audience really wants a Well, it hasn't changed one thing. The Dateline is the longest running primetime show on NBC. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that unbelievable when you think about it? Is this season 27? I think it is. Right? Yeah, I think so. I Coming mean, up, think about season. it. The longest running primetime September. show on NBC. Yeah, I mean, The Law and Order didn't last that long. No. Gunsmoke didn't last that long. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so you have done... How, do you even know how many stories over the last 23 years you've done? I, I did not count Hundreds, them. I'm yeah, sure, right? Yeah. But somehow, your best-known story is the report on Atkins' diet. I don't know if that's still true. It's why certainly, was it? Tell it us. It certainly was true uh, Tell us why. when it happened. Well, in 1998, uh, the uh, Atkins diet, which had existed in the 70s, was sort of back. Um and uh, and so I went on it, and uh, and I lost all this weight, and then I, I lost like forty seven pounds, and I did a story uh, about it on the air, and then Keith, um, Keith Morrison, uh, whom we adore, it's the best. Uh, I used to have his voice on Waze, but they took it off. But you don't have a crush on him, do no, you? No, I don't. No? Okay. <laughs> just I have a big crush just, on you. Just to be clear, Take that, Keith. <laughs> just to be clear, yeah. Um, uh, he did a story uh, responding to me. But each of these was like, you know, eight, fun. nine, ten minutes long. And they were both kind of fun. Right. Uh, and this was uh, this was when sort of the, the Internet was kind of uh, in its infancy uh, in terms of the way it is now. Um, we got so many emails from my story that the server went down. Today, Whoa. you know, that, that they have a little more capacity, but at the time, it, it 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 sort of broke our ability to respond. I've never seen that kind of reaction before from people, and that was when what we do sort you of, think it was? What do you think caused that? I think that everybody can relate to eating, losing weight, wanting to lose weight, how to do it. In Everybody's a, in a, on a diet twenty four seven, three hundred sixty five days. How a year. to do it in a safe, healthy way, or conversely. Most people associate dieting with something unpleasant, like you're hungry Starving. all the time, or you're miserable, <laughs> or, you're, or you're avoiding things you like, and you're eating only things you hate. Right. Now, and the, the, the thing about the Atkins diet is really not about what you're eating. It's about what you're avoiding. And Oh, that's a great way to look at it. And, the, and there was a lot of anger because people had it in their heads that like the process of losing weight must be unpleasant. So is that the, where the word hangry came from? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, why it was hard for a lot of people to hear from, you know, Atkins and The Zone and uh, South Beach Diet, all of which are, you know, uh, similar in some ways. Um that the process of losing weight did not have to be agonizing and unpleasant. It was it agonizing it, for you by no, any? No, in fact, it was quite pleasant. Did you mix workout with that yeah, diet? Yeah, some, yeah, 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 which you should. I yes. mean, yeah. And so you didn't have an unpleasant time, and I think that's why that story resonated oh, no, so it, it, greatly. It definitely did. And it, it, uh, God, I had a guy come up to me in a restaurant, this is like months later, and he told me that I had saved his marriage because he thought his wife was going to leave him. And then he went on the Atkins diet because he saw my story and he started to cry. It was the, it was the damnedest thing. Can you imagine? Yeah, I'll never forget that. I mean, out of all the stories you do, and this is a diet story. Yeah. 
I mean, that is crazy. And speaking of stories, you did a story back in 2005 that I think you're most proud of, Damsel in Distress. Well, that was a story that that I proposed and that we ended up doing, and, and, you know, enormously uh, to the credit of uh, David Corva, who's the executive producer of Dateline, who thought it was a good idea and made sure that it it aired. Um, Certainly back then, to some extent now, but certainly at that time, if you watch television news in America, the morning shows and the cable shows and, 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 uh, and the magazine shows, you would get the impression that the only people who were missing in America were people who looked like Lisa Stanley. They were blonde, gorgeous, oh, right? Get that on tape, please. And 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 suddenly missing. In fact, that's not true. Most of the missing people in America are men. Uh, Is that right? Yeah, and and in, according to the FBI's database, and huh. and a much larger percentage of the missing are minority than the population at large. But we weren't covering those people. We were Why only, do you think that is? You think people just want to see pretty people in distress? I think that people in, I think that people in charge at all of the networks believed at the time. We're going back some years now. Well, two thousand and five. That, that the way to the, that the way to build an audience was to do stories about what were sort of internally referred to as damsels in distress. So there was a lot of coverage of you know Lacey Peterson and Natalie Holloway oh, and other wow. you know I mean hour after hour of television and and uh, devoted to to those stories at the expense of all kinds of other people who were also missing but who weren't sort of TV attractive in that way and so well, that we, must we, be tough for you and we found a we found a case of a woman uh um uh who was uh, named Tamika Houston? Who I was this story. who was who was missing, and no one could find her. And her family thought, uh, you know, we'll be able to get the same kind of attention for her that we've seen for other people. Uh, and so they called the networks, and like nobody called them back, including Dateline. Nobody called her back. And the reason is Tamika Houston was black and didn't oh. and 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 didn't get one minute of TV time. Wouldn't rate as far as they thought back then. That's right? what they thought. I mean, one of the things that we've sort of oh learned gosh. over the years is that any story well told will find an audience. Any murder story will find an audience that's well told, I promise you. And especially, I just have to say this, I'm just looking at him, you guys. He's talking, and all I could hear is this unbelievable voice. Your voice is unbelievable. To me, I'm just mesmerized by your voice, so I don't really care what's on the TV. I'm just listening to you report, do the story. Okay, so the, the message I'm getting here is that I really should not spend as much time, you know, crafting these stories as much as I do. Well, not for I can me, just, anyway. For now, I just blah, blah, yes. blah. You got that, Lisa? Yeah. yeah. You know, here's the interesting thing. When I um, when you did do the damsel in distress story, yes. did it rate? Did it rate well? Did it show the network I that think they it were did. wrong? Yeah, I think it did. And I and, and I also the great thing about it was after it aired, um, I felt the ship of state journalistically move a little bit. We stopped really? we stopped doing as many of those stories. I mean, I'm not saying it was a complete turnaround, but things definitely changed. You don't see those stories dominating the the airwaves the way they did at the time. That's true. Uh, and so I think we've. I think maybe I helped us a little bit sort of talk about a more realistic or sophisticated way of looking at crime and you looking at missing people's people. minds. Maybe a little bit. Yeah. Maybe a little bit. Uh, you want to talk about my voice. Here's the interesting thing about I that. I love this voice. Right, oh, I could the... listen to him all day long. And all night long. Oh, for sure. Okay. <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> so, this is the greatest. So, um, uh, I would have done this a long time ago if I'd known this was going to be the... Yeah. Uh, 
Here's the thing about my voice. When I started uh, all those years ago at another network, uh, which I won't identify, but it's... I know which one it Its was. initials are ABC. Yes, I know which um, network. But I won't name it. Um, uh, they believed um, that I my voice was... It was too... Uh, vocal fry? Did they say, you have vocal they, fry? No, they didn't say that. They said something more cryptic, like, your voice sucks. <gasps> and uh, Who were those people? And they sent me to probably, I don't know, fifty dollars to $100,000 worth of voice coaching lessons. What? Yes, because they wanted me to sound like every other FM oh, DJ no. in the country. <laughs> Your voice is priceless. Your voice is why people tune in. I want you to know I tried very hard to come away with that voice. I took... <laughs> I took I took lessons. I did the exercises at home. You know they sent yeah, me and the here's vocal the, coaching yeah, too. And here's the thing: it didn't work. This was the voice Thank I went in with. God, this is the voice I came out with. Well, this is an Emmy-winning voice. So what can I tell you? Well, All right, let's you. talk about the process of getting these stories. You once told me sometimes takes you four months from the first phone call till air date. Yeah, I mean, three to four months is is. Is pretty. Tell um, everybody how you like who does your producer bring you the story and how does it work? Okay, we um, there's a story meeting every day in New York. We have d- different people who are assigned essentially reading the papers all over the country every day, finding new stories Looking, out of you know, every. Like there's paper. one guy that just looks at all the websites of all the Florida newspapers. Oh boy, you, you know, can get right? a lot from Florida, right? Exactly. Oh look, <laughs> without without Florida and Texas, we'd be off television. So <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. So. So uh, we read all these all these websites, and we, we read the papers. And we also, of course, over the years now, we have pretty good relationships with a lot of homicide detectives and a lot of prosecutors and a lot of defense attorneys. So, so, so sometimes they call us and say, there's a great story here. Uh, so we, we, we see a story, and we make some calls. Now, of course, we're not looking for the bloodiest murder. We're not looking for the most shocking crime. What are you looking for? We're looking for something that has some twists and turns in it, and he's about... That has story. Yeah, it's not just about the murder. It's about the marriage, as Dennis Murphy notably said. It's about the relationship. You know, not everybody, and I certainly hope most people who are listening are never touched by violent crime, but everybody's had a relationship that didn't work out the way they wanted it to. So, So that's sort of what we're looking for here. The actual mechanics of the murder, the the frightening nature of the murder or the bloodiness, that's not really a factor for us. In fact, the sort of worse or more shocking the murder, the harder that story is to tell. Because if you tell a story about certain sex crimes or crimes in which kids are the victims or particularly bloody or awful murders, people just change the channel. Like, like they're not interested. We're not about. We're, this is not about trying to shock people or gross them out or or make them make make them repelled by what we're doing. Uh, this is about telling the story of frequently some kind of relationship. So basically, you're saying there's a difference between a story and storytelling. Well, that's right, and we we try very hard to draw a line between story and storytelling. Does one ever get in the way of each other? Well, look, the the storytelling is the fun part. I mean, we don't begin by saying, here's a guy who was charged with killing his wife, but then it turned out it was the next-door neighbor. Now stick around for 59 minutes. We don't do that. We say... You know, John and Mary had a storybook marriage. Uh, oh, yeah. Everything was perfect, oh, and then one day, it. you know, Mary didn't come home, and then John was found, and he was covered in blood, and you know, right? And 
if it turns out that John's the actual guilty party, it's not such a great story. If it turns out he's not, then we have a terrific story. So the storytelling by which we delay telling you certain things or we lead you around corners, that's part of the fun of telling the story. But, of course, we're always bound by the truth. We can't make stuff up. Do people ever lie to you, though, when you're interviewing them and stuff? Sure, sometimes. How do you know that they're lying? Other than checkable facts, Other than checkable facts, you don't know. I mean, sometimes... You don't have, in all these years, a gut Oh, sure. I know when people are lying. I mean, I kept a couple of people off the air because I thought they weren't telling the truth. Will you bust them out right there while you're doing the interview? I mean, you can ask them if they're telling the truth, but if they deny it, I mean, it's not like... I I don't have a lie detector I can hook them up to. Too bad. But, but, I mean, every reporter has to sort of use their instincts as the one that they think they're being given the straight story. And if they're not, there's a way to deal with that within the process of, of writing and telling the story. Okay, look, this is so fascinating. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. All right, so... I always drank bottled water, but I recently started drinking smart water. I heard it's healthier because it has electrolytes and added minerals. And I'm not going to lie. It totally tastes better than the bottled water I've been drinking for years. I'm not going to say what that water is, but suffice it to say, we did a challenge and I picked smart water each time. Plus... It's called smart water, so it must make you smart, right? Hey, a girl can wish. All I know is I love smart water, and that in itself makes me smart. Okay, we're back with the fantastic uh, Josh Mankiewicz from Dateline, one of my favorite shows. I always say that if I didn't do what I did, I would have been a profiler. I am so into true crime and solving mysteries, and I... You need to come to CrimeCon next year. Oh, there's a crime con? How do you not know about crime con? What? We just had the second crime con. Uh, I mean, I say we. I had nothing to do with it. But there's a... there's a. Where the, is it and when is it? Well, the first one was in Indianapolis. That was last year. And then we just had... There was just one in Nashville. And we went to that. All the Dateline people. And next year is in um, New Orleans. Oh, I am so coming for next year's yes. crime con. What do they do there? Uh, let's see. We, uh, Dateline had a panel. We spoke to a crowd of a couple of thousand people. Uh, Nancy Grace was there. The people from Criminal Minds were there. Well, if Nancy was there, that means Dan Abrams was there. Yeah, a bunch of, uh, bunch of, uh, a bunch of bloggers, a bunch of podcasters. And everybody shares stories? Is yeah, that what there's goes diff- on? there's different panels. And like, like the guy who, um, uh, who broke the uh, the Golden State Killer story? That detective, he was there and he had a, he gave a talk and took Too questions that, and stuff. What's her face? What's her name? Who passed away? Pat Oswalt's uh, wife. Oh yeah, uh, she was the one. I think. Yeah. Uh, oh no, she would have like like if she were alive, she would absolutely have been there and done a presentation. I hope she knows upstairs what they what finally oh, no, happened. She made a huge difference. No she, question that about book, it. Don't no, you no, think? No, no question. Huge no difference. Qu- kept that kept that story on the front page. Have you ever been threatened? In, in doing a story, has anyone ever threatened your life? Like, dude, if you say this, I'm going to come after you or anything like that? You've got to remember that. By or the, stalkers other than me. <laughs> other than you, no. But, uh, but uh, you know, you've got to remember that when these guys, um, and they're mostly guys, uh, are talking to us, um, either they haven't been convicted yet, in which case they're on their best behavior yeah, saying, yeah. you know, you know, you're going to see I'm found innocent, or they have been convicted, and they're trying to prove that it's all sort of a big conspiracy have against them and everybody's got it wrong. Have sure. you had any of those sure. where you have gone on television, convicted them, the court has convicted them, you've done the story, and then it's been overturned? Uh, yes, except that I think we told that as part of the whole story. I mean, we've done stories in which people were convicted and then the conviction was later reversed. But that was, we didn't have to come back for that. That was all part of the same hour or two hours. What happens if you're doing a story, let's say, and the guy's going to trial? You have to then wait to finish, right? Oh, yeah, you want... So that could be nine months later? It could be, and if, you know, let's say the 
judge has a heart attack and has to be replaced or there's a mistrial, suddenly you're waiting another eight months to a year before that trial can resume, and and we're not going to do it ahead of time because there's no there's ending. There's no outcome, yeah. Also, prosecutors won't, and cops frequently won't talk to you until the case is fully adjudicated, and you want that court file, which is public record. So you want, you know, so you the, don't go after these stories until they are done. We go after them right away, but with with the understanding that we, because you can always, you know, the victim's family, the 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 person's friends, the pictures of the town, you can get that before the trial you can do starts. A bunch of B roll and a bunch right, of right. You can get a lot of stuff ready, but. Generally, until it's over, you can't go ahead. When we talk to these these guys, the, the people who've been accused or, in some cases, already convicted, like they're generally trying to persuade me that you know, no, no, this is a big mistake. I, I'm really a good guy, so I never really feel threatened by them. And how about kept up at night by any stories? Uh, just by the thought that you're listening, That's, <laughs> and probably me. parked across keep, the street. <laughs> I keep him. <laughs> Any stories that you've done that you'd really you go home at night and you say to your wife, "Oh man, I just can't shake this." Well, um, you know, if you're a reporter, um, no matter really what you're doing, uh, you're covering some things that are probably on some level upsetting to you. This was certainly true long before I started covering crime. Uh, so Give me you gotta, an example. You know, I mean, uh, even when I was covering politics, I'd be rethinking some story I did as to, you know, whether or not I, I, I played it correctly, whether or not I wrote it right, right whether or not in the head. was I tough enough on, on so-and-so, was I too tough on somebody? I mean, you know, you spend a lot of time second-guessing yourself no matter what you do. Um, so, I mean, you're always, I mean, if you're not thinking about stories you did, I, I don't think there are any reporters, newspaper, radio, TV, online, who are not you know, after hours thinking about what they did. So I don't think this is particular to us. But sure, I mean, I think about them all the time. Um, One of the things that happens when you do these stories is you end up staying in touch with some people. Oh, really? Uh, Yeah, some of them in law enforcement and some in the legal community, and a lot of them family members of victims, people who've been left behind. Really? Uh, Yeah, because you spend a lot of time talking with families. So they Um, become part of yours? Yeah, sort of. Wow. Stay in touch with them. That's really cool. Do you ever think we're going to know who killed John Bonet or Madeline McCann McCann or Baby Lisa or any of those? Well, the last two I didn't do story. I I didn't cover. I did uh, do it. I did cover a. Uh, I did do a story about the 20-year retrospective of John Bonet, uh, but I didn't cover it when it happened. Do you think we know who did it, and they're just not saying? Or? I mean, police at the time b- thought they knew, but they the DA did not want to bring charges, so there was never any case filed. Um, and that's such a weird thing because both her mother and is her father gone too? No, her father's no, he's still, still alive. He's still around. Yeah, but that's just such a weird story. And and how they've never been able to close that is a cold case. I would like to see you solve. Uh, I don't know that it is going to be solved, but I'm sure there are people that are still working on it. I mean, I know that really? that's not. Yeah, I don't think it's. I don't. What uh, about the West Mesa murders? I think you covered those, didn't you? Well, you know, there's an interesting story. I did do that. There's an interesting story. This was a this was a, a series of. Uh, of uh, uh, women, many of them involved in street prostitution, but not all, uh, who were disappearing around Albuquerque, and their bodies were turning up in the desert west of town. Uh, and oh, I remember this story. And and this probably, you know, this probably would have gone unnoticed for quite a long time were it not for one police officer who sort of knew these women and paid attention and and uh, a woman named Ida Lopez who was with APD at the time and 
And these bodies started turning up, again, accidentally, after a rain and some guy was walking his dog. Otherwise, they might have stayed buried for a long time. Then there was this really eerie thing where there were these satellite photos. I don't know if you remember this. There were satellite photos of the West Mesa that, that the police department got from, oh, you know, the like, shadows like, the, like the weather department or something. It was just, it was regular satellite photos yes. that were being taken, except you could see the gravesites yes. starting to appear. But shadows. And they you could like see, shadows. you could see tire tracks leading up to them. And clearly you couldn't actually see the person. It was all after the fact, but you could see like there were three of them. And then two months later, there was one more. And then eight months later, there were like three a burial more. Ground. Yeah. And and so they sort of, you know, that was a sense that they had that there was some somebody at work out there, but they never figured out who it was, except a guy was killed by the boyfriend. This was right right near the, the, the area where it happened. A, a guy was killed by the boyfriend of a woman that he was apparently in the process of abducting. And there was some thought that maybe that was the guy, and he had sort of met his end because the the boyfriend of the girl came along at exactly the right time, and and there was a gunfight, and the the guy who was abducting the girl got shot, and then and after he fell, he dropped this bundle that he was carrying, and when the boyfriend opened it, it was his girlfriend, and she was dead. Oh, so he was maybe on his way to dispose of that body. Um, we at the time thought, okay, that might be the guy, except there were several women who disappeared after that, after that guy was dead, suggesting either that he was working with somebody else or he wasn't the guy. Subsequently to that, now we're we're, we're coming much closer to to current time, some of those women reappeared. What? They were not. They were not. They were not dead? No, they were not dead. They were had moved to another city and had not contacted their families or had not contacted anybody. Have they not seen the Dateline story? I think, unlike you, they somehow missed an episode of Dateline, (laughs) which... I know is hard to fathom, <laughs> but mean, so now suspicion has swung back to the guy who was dead. So maybe that crime really was solved oh, wow. because originally they thought it wasn't because there were more missing yes. girls, and then it turned but out maybe those maybe there maybe those girls. girls weren't missing. So maybe that wow. w- maybe that was the guy. So do you think you're going to do a follow up story to at, maybe at some, tell that at some point? Yeah, Pelosi. Yeah, I well, think people like me would like to know that. I I, <laughs> I, I I you know I see myself as your sort of personal. <laughs> well. When I watch you on TV, you are only speaking to me. I'm only speaking to you. Only to me. (laughs) And when that Keith Morrison comes on, I I turn the sound down. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. (laughs) But speaking of which, she's got a big fan too. Kristen Bell is a huge fan. Well, she is. Well, she she and her husband are big uh, big Dateline fans uh, at large. But uh, Dak Shepard. Yeah, but uh, yeah, they do love Keith. They do. Besides me, what big giant celebrity? Because I'm not really a celebrity. Fawns over you like Keith gets with her. Hmm. Hmm. Come uh, on. Uh, uh, Lucy Lawless, who ah, uh, played uh, Zena. Zena. Zena, that's yeah, a good one a, to have. She's, she's a fan. She's become a friend of mine. Oh, really? Yeah. See, I love how Josh becomes yeah. friends with his fans. <laughs> <laughs> I actually forced him to be my friend. I was going to say, that's, that's why I'm here. Yes. I forced him to be my friend. I met him and I attacked him immediately, which I do. Okay, so if there was, are you doing a story now that you can talk about and tell us? Because I'm sure you're in the middle of one. I'm doing a story that uh, that is going to air this Friday, uh, the 29th. Um, this is a story that, for us, represents a fairly accelerated um, uh, way of, of putting the story together. Normally, it does take a couple of months. Right. This one took us. This this one was like like 
like three weeks or a month ago, we were we were this was just happening. I don't know if you remember this. This was in and around Phoenix. There was a uh, there was a brief series of of killings Shootings. over about three days yes. in which a bunch of people were killed. Yes, and police were fairly certain they were connected, but they could not figure out what the thread was that connected them. Then finally, they did. It turned out it related to an old divorce, domestic violence, child custody case, and this guy was going back to settle a score with. He couldn't find his wife, but he found a bunch of other people involved. This in the just case. happened. Yeah, this just happened. This like, just like, happened like two months ago. Less than that. Less than that. Yeah. Right. Um. Uh, it happened uh, June, uh, uh, like, like last day of May, first day of June, something like that. He was going, and the ex-wife is still alive, right? She's the only she, one that survived. She had, was. She lived in fear of this guy for like more than twenty years, and um, and and finally, she's she's been hiding from him since the divorce and moving around from one house to another. And you know, I mean, fortunately, she's had the resources to do that. Lots of women like don't have that option. Was he a dentist or one of them a dentist or something? Did she, he kill a dentist? She's a um, the wife was a uh, was a physician, a radiologist. Right. Okay, done. Uh, and we have an interview with her. We have a long sit down interview with her, which she's she's very heroic and very courageous, and she's done a lot of things to keep herself and her son safe. Here's what he did. He, the ex-husband, after a number of years, he found and killed the forensic psychiatrist who had examined him as part of the child custody case. Um, uh, was a guy named Dr. Steve Pitt, uh, who'd become a friend of mine. Actually, oh. uh, so this was the first person I've known in oh, my in my life that gotten murdered. I mean, <gasps> obviously, we've all lost people suddenly. I never had anybody. Uh, I never knew anybody who was actually so murdered. So how before. weird was this to do the story? It was weird, but I also couldn't hand it off to anybody else because I knew him. You had to and, really do yeah. it right. So, uh, so that's going to air this uh, this Friday, I believe. Um, now, did that guy end up killing himself, right? Or? He did kill himself. Right. As, as, so he killed Steve right. uh, outside his office. Then he went to the office of the divorce lawyer who'd handled his wife's right. uh, uh, case, and she wasn't there. So he killed a couple of paralegals who had the bad luck to be working late that day. Who, who had, had nothing, nothing to do at with all to do with him. Probably didn't know who he was. Then he went the, the next day. He went to the office of the therapist who had treated their son. That that therapist was not there, Thank so goodness. he killed the guy who shared the office with her, who again oh. didn't know anything about the case. Oh, um, heartbreaking! And and and, um, and then as police closed in, he ended up killing himself. I but uh, it. it's a uh, it's a dreadfully brutally sad and awful story, especially um, so personal to you. One of the things we're looking at is not just the sort of the TikTok of how this all unfolded, but the the whole issue of how the courts treat domestic violence, uh, whether they take it seriously enough, and whether the court system, the legal system, the criminal justice system missed a lot of signposts with this guy that he was dangerous. Uh, because well, there were, clearly they did. Because there were plenty of signs that this fellow was a, was a, was a menace. And, uh, and it seems that sort of nothing happened. He was still out there menacing people at the end. Do you think your Dateline stories, things like this, could change laws and could change the court's rulings on things? I mean, you know, I think that everything that journalists do is incremental. I don't... It's unusual for... 
you know, one person. I mean, like, you know, the uh, here in Los Angeles, the letter grades on, on, uh, on restaurants, restaurants, you know, that's Joel Grover. When he was at Channel Four, you know, he did that, and you know, that's a like. An, so he's a, you know, the one who got that started. He did a, did a great series uh, on dirty restaurants, and those grades being posted—that's the that result was the of result. that. Yeah. Wow. Now that's very unusual. Usually, you know, if you're going to change a law, you know, your story is one part of why it might happen. So, could this make a difference? I don't know. I hope it does, but will it? We won't know for a while. Wow. That's just amazing. All right, so what are what are you going to be working on now? What's your next story? Because this one's in the can and going to air Friday. Well, I don't want to say too much of what I'm working on because, you know, everyone listens to Lisa Stanley, including our competition. Oh, so, wow. So, All right, well. So I can't, I, but okay. I, am working on, I am working on a number of other stories. And how often does your stories take you out of town? Are you mostly oh, on the road? Well, I mean, I, I do a lot of stories in California and in Los Angeles just because a lot of stuff happens here. Oh, no but kidding. I mean, I can, <laughs> we can go anywhere for a story. I, I love it when we can work with the same departments again and again and again because then you get some sort of sense of trust with them and, and they, and with, they you. with you. And they with you, yes. And then that helps a lot. But, you know, I, I, tend to do stories all over the place. Have you ever uh, encountered um, working in another city and having to deal with their local police on a story where they just, I'm not a daylight fan, dude. I'm not, this is not TV. This is real life. Yeah, it's not just, uh, we do. It's not always that they're, it's usually not that they're not daylight fans. It's usually that they just don't want to talk. But I will say that departments that sort of circle the wagons and don't want to talk, usually regret it later. I mean, everybody does, because what I say to them is true, which is, we're going to do this story. With or you know, without you. And you're not going to be in it. And when then when it airs, you're going to wish you had been in it, because there's going to be some stuff that you would have, you would, you wish you could have responded to. So, usually, I mean, the thing about Dateline, which I, we tell every department that, we're, that we want to work with, is, hey, don't take our word for it. Talk to somebody else that did a story with us. See how that went. Right. Call any other department. And what they'll say is, it was a pleasure. They respected us. They respected our boundaries, and we were happy with the finished product. Well, you can see that when the finished product airs. Speaking of which, uh, two hour or one hour, what's your favorite to do? Oh, two hours, definitely. That's my favorite to see. Right. Well, whatever you want is what I want. That's, <laughs> yeah, but. You know what? Your wife has trained you well. Yes, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh. Uh, you, you prefer know, the two-hour why? Sure, because you can do so much more with the story. I mean, even, you know, look, here's the thing. Even at two hours, you're leaving stuff on the cutting room floor, on the virtual really? cutting room floor. Yeah. I mean, I mean, even at two hours, there's parts of the story you think, like, oh, I really wanted to put that in, but I just don't have room. At one hour, even more stuff, you know, you have to sort of leave out extraneous storylines and stuff that maybe doesn't directly impact the verdict or anything, but it's kind of a fun little thing to know. In right. two hours, you can put that in. I love that. You know, and that's I live course, for the 9 to 11. You don't understand. <laughs> we, we would love to do two hours all the time. Why don't ever. you? Well, that's not up to us. That's up to the NBC network. Well, who's, who do I got to talk to? Well, um, I guess... What's their name? Uh, I'll, I'll give you a list of names. And you uh, can, whoever you, your name is, to whom it may concern, we, the the, the watchers, the viewers, viewers, we like two-hour datelines. Noted. We like to pop the wine, drink the wine, and watch the murder get solved. <laughs> All right? That's all I'm going to say. Uh, uh, we, we like that, too. 
All right, so look. So does, so does the distilled spirits industry. I yeah. bet they do. All right, so listen, Josh, this has been so fantastically interesting for me. I could just listen to you talk all day, as I've said before. This is the greatest um, thing. But it's just so much fun. Where can people, if they have a story, they've, they've got something that they need to, to send to you, mm-hmm. or uh, where can they where can they do it? Where's your website? What's what's your well, social? Uh, you can um, you can go to um, uh, you can go to the Dateline website, and there is a uh, there. Is and you're a, just Josh Mankiewicz on on Twitter. And yeah? if you have, I'm I'm Josh Mankiewicz on Twitter. Um, and if you want to send Dateline a story idea, it's Dateline dot contact us all one word at NBCUNI.com. Dateline.contactus, that's all one word, at NBCUNI.com if you want to send in a story idea, and we read them all. I like that. And lastly, you got any conflicts I could solve in your life? Because um, I'm really good at resolutions. I'll give you an example. My co-host this morning was talking about not being able to have posters up on his wall as a child because the walls were so thin. If they put a hammer and a nail, the wall could collapse. So, of course, me. Scotch tape. Hello. This is why I love him. You see, people, this is why I love Josh Mankiewicz. <laughs> All right. We'll see you soon. Thanks for being on. What goes on around here? Dateline. line.